right, folks, welcome back. Another Behind the Yellow Line. The Cubs are back from their longest road trip of the year, a 10-game swing across three cities on the West Coast. They welcome into first place Pirates, and so far, so good. As we record this on the night of June 14, the Cubs have taken the first two ball games from the Pirates to open up this homestand. And Jeremy, who would have thought in the middle of June we would be saying the first place Pittsburgh Pirates the Cubs are taking a couple of games back from? How about that? Yeah, absolutely crazy, you know, to think of where the Pirates are right now in the middle of June. Also, even crazier to think about, they're doing it without O'Neill Cruz, who was like their top guy coming into this, this season, who unfortunately got uh, broke his, I believe, broke his leg or injured his leg in that game, that slide against the White Sox back in early April. But yeah, it's it's good to come onto the pod as we talk about after a win. And it's nice to come onto the pod after a nice, like, comeback win of, of the five, down 5-1, Drew Smiley not really having it tonight, but giving you six-plus innings are giving you six innings actually and then you know coming back getting that nice win 10 six get back on take two from the pirates it's good yeah very good so we got jeremy here we also got randall here so a full crew tonight randall full show randall full show yeah uh randall who uh, slept through the first 50 minutes or so last week he's uh away awoken and ready to go here tonight but randall it's nice to see you here uh with the win on wednesday night the cubs 30 and 37 so they're seven games under, which is good for four and a half games out of first place. That's equally surprising to me here on June 14. Well, you know, it's, it's like an NBA game. I got here for the end, the most important part. Uh, yeah, this is not a good division. We will get to this later. But seven games under 500, four and a half back. You know, it, it's a weird spot to be in. Every time I think, you know, just give up on this season, I am reminded by the rest of this division how bad this division is. And if one team has three good weeks where they beat up on some division opponents and run away, that might be it. That might be it. This is an awful division. I know we'll get to it later, but you know what? You can't get to the top of the division without beating the team atop the division. And the Cubs have done that the last two nights. The Cubs, the Cubs have won four of their last five games. So how about that? And if the Cubs win, if they go for the sweep tomorrow, they they pull it off against the pirates. They're three and a half back of the pirates uh, who are in first place. They kind of are back in this race, right? If you're three and a half back of a, with this weak division, as you're talking about, uh, you know, so tomorrow's game is kind of huge. It's kind of a big game, and uh, it's at three and a half back. Like I'd be putting them back in, even if they're six under. You know, you say they're back in this race. For as awful as this division have been, the Cubs have never really been out of the race. Even at their worst, they were still only what five, six, seven games out in May, in early June. Uh, yeah, we're, we're going we're gonna to spend a lot of time talking about just how bad this division is, only because I can't believe it sometimes. Yeah. Well, the Cubs are, yeah, in it here in the middle of June after all of this and the ups and downs we've had this year. So lots to get to tonight. A number of big league players we want to talk about. A couple of minor league players worth noting this evening regarding the Cubs. Uh, we are about halfway through the season or getting to that point where we're nearing the midpoint of the season here. And I wanted to take a look back on some potential players that we had all championed the Cubs trying to get in the off season, whether it was guys like Carlos Rodon, Jose Abreu, there were a number of players that we spent the off season saying, Hey, the Cubs should have gone out and gotten this guy. And I think we've got some crow to eat. We've got some players that maybe the Cubs have missed out on. So we'll look at some of the starting pitchers, the infielders, the catchers that the Cubs could have gone in on and see how we're doing. Um, other thoughts around Major League Baseball. 
amazing scene earlier this week in Oakland. I definitely want to touch on that. The fans really showing up there in the Bay. Uh, Jeremy's got some thoughts on the balanced schedule too. So lots of things to get to this evening, but we are a Cubs podcast. We like to focus on the Cubs more than anything else here. And something that was great from the last couple of days here was Kyle Hendricks over the weekend, Saturday night in San Francisco, a series the Cubs won from the Giants, eight shutout innings, Three strikeouts, one walk. For one night, guys, here, we got vintage Kyle Hendricks again. That was something special. How fun was that? Kyle Hendricks doing what he did at his peak, getting weak contact, quick innings, heartbreaking that he loses that no-hitter with two outs in the the eighth inning. And then, of course, gets the out on the very next batter, on the very next pitch even heartbreaking, but a, a fantastic outing for him. He breaks the Cubs kind of Saturday semi curse a little bit in a, a ballpark where they haven't done a whole lot of good work in the last few years. Just a, a great thing to see for Kyle Hendricks, especially coming off the long injury layaway. Yeah. I mean, those last four innings or so, he looked absolutely, like you said, vintage Kyle Hendricks, just getting it done. I was a little disappointed. I would, I mean, that ball was hit hard and I don't think half really had a chance at it, but I was kind of like, the Cubs are up by a pretty good amount at that point. Lay out for it, my dude. You know, make a make a play on this ball for Kyle to get that no hitter. I don't care if it's inside the park home run. Uh, you know, I thought the Cubs were in good position, but uh, yeah, I thought you know for the first he pitched very well. I would say in that ballpark, like the first couple of innings, he was he was getting hit a little bit hard. He was giving up some balls that would be homers in Wrigley Field. Uh, but you know that's a big ballpark, and there were some warning track balls that were caught. Mike Tockman made an absolutely. Yeah sensational catch on a hard hit ball uh that was incredible and then he settled down and those last four innings or so four or five innings or so he looked exactly like Kyle Hendricks from 2016 and it was awesome to watch and he was working fast working you know getting weak contact getting the strikeouts when he needed them it was it was vintage Kyle Hendricks and I was loving every bit of it can either of you think of a better defensive effort this year? I'm talking about a single play than that effort Talkman made in that outfield. That's a big outfield, too, in baseball. And uh, just one of the awesome defensive plays. I think the shining star up to this point this year for the Cubs. Yeah, you know, there, there's nothing there's nothing coming to mind specifically when you factor in the situation, when you factor in the size of the outfield. Bellinger has made some real great plays in center field, gliding over, cutting off uh, would-be base hits in the gap. But... You know, given the context, given the situation, given everything else, that's probably the best defensive play we've seen from a Cubs player this year. And there are some very good defensive players on this roster. And so that's not uh, that's not a small sample size necessarily. Yeah, I, I I probably would agree with you. That was the best. I mean, Belger made some fantastic catches earlier in the season. I remember a couple like in Oakland that big uh, outfield Dodger Stadium earlier in the season. Dodger State, yeah, Dodger Stadium. He made. I think he robbed uh, Hayward right of a homer. Um, some fantastic catches, and so and he and he got hurt. You know, making a, a great effort. I think that was a great catch too. Um, uh, but Talkman, yeah, that was just a. It was crazy to see. And I, I also want to give him props for tonight. He made another fantastic catch in a very big situation where he ran all the way to the other side, uh, uh, to his right side, and, you know, held a seven – I mean, it was a sack fly, made it a seven-six game, but that ball gets in, it could have been two runs, uh, you know, and he makes a – you get two outs and seven things. So, yeah, so that play in San Francisco, though, was fantastic. Tuckins looked pretty good out there uh, lately. 
Cubs have needed help in center field. We will certainly get to more on Talkman here, uh, including Cody Bellinger's imminent return back to the Cubs. So lots on that front. But I want to talk about the other half of the battery. You got Kyle Hendricks on the mound. You got the kid, Miguel Amaya, behind the plate. Uh, what stood out to you guys Saturday and him catching Kyle Hendricks? What stood out to me is just the fact that they were on the same page. The start prior, Amaya caught Kyle Hendricks, and you could tell that they were kind of working through it. Even with the pitch calm, Kyle was shaking him off. Miguel had to go out to the mound a few times to kind of get on the same page. In the San Francisco start, they were working together very, 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 very well. They were in, they were in sync with one another. Everyone has talked up Miguel Amaya's game-calling ability, his catching ability, and if you want Miguel Abaya to be part of this team going forward, you're going to need him to do just that with young guys, with veteran guys. Kyle Hendricks has been caught by a lot of guys as a member of the Cubs, some of whom were very accomplished backstops. And for him to praise Miguel Amaya as he did, I think that speaks volumes about Miguel Amaya and what you can expect from him behind the plate. I thought, I thought Miguel looked fantastic behind the plate. Like, that it was almost to me, it was almost as noticeable as Kyle was when I was watching it. Um, I do think that Kyle did have his own pitch comment, like on his, so he was calling his own uh pitches, but I thought he just the way Miguel was receiving pitches, like he looked absolutely he looked very quiet, he looked like just totally in control. I, I thought Kyle was very comfortable throwing to him, uh, which is why you saw him making those types of pitches and. Just as Randall said, you hear from various pitchers on the Cubs, and obviously they're not going to trash the guy. I mean, we're not going to get into the Jake Arrieta, Miguel Montero situation yeah, no, here. But, no. uh, you know, just hearing them all say, like, I, we like throwing to this guy. And I think it says a lot. You know, the Cubs have had some kind of issues in the past, you know, with catching behind the plate, uh, specific, I mean, specifically defensively behind the plate. And they've made an effort this year to kind of go the other way. And now you have this young kid who's coming up, all he's came through, who has shown that he can hit the ball hard. And he's shown to be kind of a guy behind the plate where you can feel very comfortable throwing to him. And I, I was very impressed. I was watching that and Kyle looked great and everything was rightfully said about Kyle and Kyle was fantastic. But to me, I was like, the big takeaway to me was like, look how good Miguel Amaya is. He's so good back there. He's so quiet. Like it was noticeable, but it's not noticeable because you're not supposed to notice it. Right. And he was getting strikes where maybe he shouldn't have been a strike. And I, I, I was very impressed. That's all. It was yeah. very impressive to me. Sounds like the confidence in Amaya is rising among you guys here, because this is a guy that could be a big part of the picture for the next four, five, six years, if he can stay healthy and can continue, uh, continue to contribute. But I'm hearing optimism for both of you that this guy's starting to put it together. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't think there's ever really been a question about Miguel Amaya's skills on the baseball diamond. It's always been about staying healthy for him. And that's pretty much the only reason why I don't have him penciled in as your starting catcher next season is just because he has such an extensive injury history and injury history, not just, you know, a strained hamstring keeps you out for a few weeks at a time. Uh, you know, a wrist injury keeps you out for a few weeks at a time. It's injuries that have taken you out for a full season. The the foot injury, the, the needing the Tommy John, that's the kind of injury history he has. But I don't think there's ever been any question about his skills on the field. Um, only ever, ever any question whether he would see the field for long enough. And so far we've gotten to see enough of him to say, Hey, you know, the scouting reports we read were years. We're right on the money with him. I feel like for so far this season, he's been, and I, I feel like it's almost overlooked, even though it's not really that overlooked, like, but he might be the biggest story to me of this season because he's oh. a guy who came out of nowhere. We weren't expecting anything. And he's kind of put himself on the map in my opinion to be just a big part of this Cubs core. And even still, 
it's kind of overlooked because he's not really in the minors anymore. So he's not like a top prospect. So when you're seeing him like updated lists, prospect lists, whatever, he's he's not going to be on those because he's he's kind of exhausting his prospect eligibility now. And so like it's kind of like a guy that he's he's getting talked about, but not quite where. And I think I just think it's very important, you know, to have a catcher, a guy who could be kind of that's like a very leadership position on the team. And you have this guy who's showing he can hit the ball hard. He's kind of he's got the pitchers have faith in him. He's showing he can handle it behind the plate and he's young and he's made this comeback out of kind of nowhere. Like we all were kind of writing, written him off. I, in my opinion, I, I think so. We were all writing him off. He as Randall, re, uh, you know, recounted his injury history. We didn't expect anything. And so when you get like from nowhere, kind of something that kind of a little bit like Wilson, like Wilson kind of came out of nowhere. He was a big, a big signing uh, from you know international draft, but then like his first three years in the Myers was really kind of nothing, and he kind of popped up, made, played himself into a prospect, and that that was critical, I think. And so I kind of feel like kind of that same track, like oh my, come out. That's a big deal to me, like because you weren't counting on that, and now you might have something, and he may be an important piece for the next five years of the Cubs. Yeah, yeah, it, you know there was nothing, nothing about Miguel Amaya that I was expecting anything from this season. Oh, he's on the forty-man roster, and that's to keep him from being taken as a, a Rule Five guy because you don't want to lose him that way. But you know, spring training ends. Luis Terenz is on the big league roster. He's your third catcher. Dom Nunez is your veteran guy at Iowa. You figure he comes up if you lose anybody. You just didn't have a a notion that Miguel Amaya might be a guy to come up this season and contribute. And he has done both of those things. It's a, it's a wonderful surprise. It seems like the opposite of what we normally get, where you expect a guy to contribute and he does very little. So it's a, yeah. it's a pleasant surprise. It came, like Jeremy said, mostly out of nowhere. And I hope it continues for him. I think it also just really highlights how unpredictable prospects are. Right, like this guy, the Cubs signed Miguel Amaya in 2015. He's been in the system since 2016. He's only 24 years old, right? And this is a guy who makes the top 100 prospects list, falls off it. Now here he is as a rookie contributing. And to your point, Jeremy, you're thinking, okay, four, five, six years, maybe this guy's going to be in the mix as potentially a nearly everyday player for the Cubs. It's just wild, and it really highlights how hard it is even if you're an incredible teen prospect, how hard it is to actually get to the big leagues and actually stay in the big leagues. I think it's a wonderful story. You know, you talk about unpredictability. Brennan Davis, sadly, is back on the minor league injured list. They say it's a different matter than the back injury that kept him out a great deal of last season. Now you're wondering if he ever sees the major leagues. He's occupying a 40-man spot as well. It's unpredictable. You can project guys all you want. You can scout them all you want. You can roster them all you want, but there's just no accounting for whether a guy is going to see the field for you at the major league level. So again, when a guy like Amaya comes kind of out of a, a place of no expectations, you you enjoy that because it doesn't happen very often. It's very cool. And I agree with you. It's a wonderful story. And I, and I loved his family following him around to get his first hit. And I felt so bad because he hit so many balls hard and he yeah. never got that first hit. Then he hit such a weak dribbler that scored a run in a huge comeback and he got the first hit. But uh, yeah, I think he's a fantastic story. And I, I, I'm a big Miguel Amaya fan. I'm, I'm going to be, you know, first guy on the Miguel Amaya train, the bandwagon. I'm going for it. All, all aboard the Miguel Amaya train, not just his family following him around, watching him get his first league league hit, but him taking in his first few games at Wrigley, just looking around, singing Go Cubs Go with the fans. It's it's fun. It's enjoyable. Cubs baseball has not always been fun and enjoyable this season. And stories like Amaya and guys like him just standing there smiling, taking it all in, it, it helps mitigate the bad a little bit. Yeah. 
Big time. Big time. Um, we spent a lot of time last week talking about Marcus Stroman, so I don't want to dive too much into this. But one nugget that has changed in the last week or so has been uh, his team, his agents, his PR branch, all that, basically putting it out there that they have approached the Cubs about an extension. Uh, the reports say the Cubs have not yet engaged it on their end. So here we are a week later, and who knows what happens here moving forward with Marcus Stroman. But uh, I always get a chuckle out of teams and camps like this leaking certain bits of information. Obviously, they wanted to put it out there that he's very eager in extending his time in Chicago, and who knows where this goes now. The Strowman's his own PR guy. He just puts it out there in a reply to a tweet from a random yeah. fan. You know, that was weird. I don't know if that necessarily counts as a leak or like a like a broadcast necessarily. But yeah, he certainly wants it out there that he wants to stay in Chicago and he has approached the Cubs about doing it. You wouldn't necessarily expect them to get to the point of discussing an extension with him until you have a little better clarity of what this team is going to be. And, you know, it's June. You've got a lot of clarity. Maybe you're not all the way there yet. But yeah, it, it, you know, things are never boring when Stroman is around for good or for ill. And uh, he he's more than content to uh, kind of paint the narrative from his side. I think I think I think it's clear he wants to be in Chicago. I, that's my takeaway is because I think he's doing that to put pressure on the Cubs front office. Like, I think he put it out there because he wants the Cubs front office to engage him. And I think letting him all the fans know that, you know, it's it's to put pressure on the front and the public. know it's put pressure on the front office like, oh, hey, I reached out to him. I want to be around. And they have not yet talked back to me and, or my my agent. And, you know. So we'll see what happens. You know, I love Chicago, and I think that's the whole point of it. That's why he did it. And hopefully, in my opinion, I, I do think it's a little early, but I, you know, the Cubs, I would like for them to engage him. I, I think I will be very, very disappointed, as we talked last week, so I don't want to react to too much if they trade Marcus Stroman next month. Yeah, you, you put such a focus on team defense. You've got the the smoothest middle infield in, you know, at least a 200-300 mile radius. You've uh, focused on center field defense, Cody Bellinger. You have PCA waiting in the wings. Uh, yeah, it would be, I think, silly to not bring back a guy who is such a ground ball artist when you've put this much focus on your infield defense. The fit is there. He was just up in a with an organization yesterday uh you know you're i guess down with an organization it's south side of chicago but working with kids um in a community he clearly loves it here he clearly is not a fan of his time in new york if you read his comments about the mets and the mets fans he clearly loves it here he wants to stay like jeremy said this is his way of saying look i'd love to stay if i don't stay it's not my fault it's the teams and again that's uh marcus stroman as well is making sure that his view on the subject is out there uh, easily referred to by the public when the time comes to litigate, you know, who said what. You know, I shared this last year. I, I don't know that there are any New York Mets fans that like Marcus Stroman. No. And I mentioned that I got some friends that are Mets fans, and I uh, was at a, a Mets-Rockies game last year. I was talking to a lot of Mets fans, and as a Cubs fan, of course I'm going to bring up Marcus Stroman. That's a fan base that does not like that guy one bit. I mean, and that's a fan base, of course, that if they don't like somebody, they're going to tell you and they're going to tell you that very loudly. It's part of being a New Yorker. But that was something I got a real kick out of, too, is that they are not a fan of him out there in uh, the the Big Apple. Uh, but it seems to be working out here in Chicago. And it seems to be mutual based on Marcus does yeah. not seem to be a fan of them. <laughs> and Marcus is also a New Yorker. That's his hometown team. So, like, he gets it, too. So, yeah, but I think it's clear he wants to be here. And I, I, I'm expecting them to at least engage him. They, they better engage him. I don't want them to trade him. 
Well, we will certainly circle back to that. That's going to be one of the big storylines with this Cubs team over the next month. Uh, last couple of shows, we've been saying, oh, it feels like the season is slipping away from them. And now here they are, just a couple of games back out of first place. So a lot can happen here as this homestand continues and as the Cubs make the march towards the All-Star break. Randall, did you have one more thought there? Oh, yeah, you know, you put your hand up saying... I did, I did. No, you're right. I did not realize my hand was in the uh, the Zoom frame here. I'm just sitting here contemplatively warming up for our next segment. You're right. That's on me. He's prepping his takes. Well, this uh, could be some big takes here coming because some very good news for the Cubs offensively. Cody Bellinger is close to returning. He has started his minor league rehab start. He's been in Iowa for the last couple of days. I think an interesting wrinkle to this, though, for Cody Bellinger is that he's been playing first base. What do we make of that? You know, I, I make a couple of things of it. You know, David Ross said, and I think Jed has said too, it's easier on his knee. If you're playing Bellinger at first base because you're not, you don't feel like he's going to be able to be out there 100% uh, in center field physically, that's a little bit worrisome. Maybe you're better served waiting until he's 100%, but it probably also says they want him back on the field uh, to try and showcase him for a trade. And if Bellinger comes back as your first baseman, that probably bodes ill for Mervis because they seem to like what Mike Talkman has brought in center field. I don't know that you displace Matt Mervis for Mike Talkman, but I'm also not in the front office. They know things I don't, but that, that's kind of what this implies to me. And I think there's a lot of maybe uh, obfuscation going on here. Maybe we're not they're saying certain things, but the reality is a little bit different. But on face value, that's kind of the what I take from the carousel. I, I don't think it necessarily means like that Mervis is gone or anything. I think I think you could find ways to get him plate appearances as a DH. Like they still have that DH spot, right? And Clay Bellinger is probably a better first baseman than Matt Mervis. Uh, and Mike Talkman, as we said, has been making plays in center field. And he t- had three hits tonight against the Pirates. And, and he's got like a a very high uh, on base percentage in this limited time here, but not so much slug we've seen from Mike Talkman. But I feel like if he Cody has that flexibility, and I, I don't, I just, I think they're going to give Mervis his chances, and I, I just think even if Cody's playing first base, who's your DH right now? There is no DH. Is it Wisdom? Is it Madrigal? It could possibly be Morel. Is but Mancini? Like, so I still think there's ways to get Mervis plate appearances, especially if you don't necessarily, you know, want him. Even Cody, you can put Cody at DH. Uh, I, I, you, I know you want his athleticism out there, but if his knee's not great, he can still play DH. No, you're you're 100% correct. Having the DH gives you a lot of flexibility you wouldn't have otherwise. But if he is, if he does come back on the roster and he's not quite 100% enough to play center field, you've got three guys in Mancini, Mervis, and Bellinger who are limited to first base DH. And you're going to have to do a lot of rotating in and out on a daily basis. That's not the worst thing in the world. You play the matchups and, and all that, but that's still rotating three guys to two positions on a daily basis. And I don't know that you necessarily want to do that. Uh, you know, I think Master Boney will go back down to probably make make uh, open that eventual roster spot. So it's, I'm not saying it's not doable. I am saying it just complicates things a little bit. Yeah. Well, this team desperately needs bats. Right. right, and they desperately need slugging in that lineup. We've gotten a little bit of slugging here on this homestand from the corner outfielders, which I think has been really refreshing, both Ian Happ and Seiya Suzuki, but they need more slug in there. I just feel with Cody Bellinger, so much of his value is the offense he brings to center field and the elite defense you get in center field. I really don't want him at first base on this Cubs team. Um, I could see 
Mervis going back down. And that's a bummer to me because I don't think there's anything for him to do in Des Moines. There's nothing to prove there. He needs to figure out whether or not he can hit big league pitching. And the only place he's going to do that is in Chicago. So I hope that this is more, it doesn't hurt to give Cody Bellinger a couple of reps at first base in Des Moines. There's no reason to risk re-injury, but when he rejoins the Cubs, I sincerely hope he is primarily the center fielder with Mervis figuring it out at first base and let Hoffman be an extra outfielder and relieve guys and be a defensive replacement. But I don't want Cody Bellinger playing much first base at Wrigley field. No, you, you are correct. And Mike Talkman, I think has done a great job coming up for Cody Bellinger. I think he's acquitted himself well in center, but I don't think you should displace Matt Mervis for Mike Talkman. And I agree no. with that completely. You say there's nothing for him to do in Des Moines. I hear the, you know, the S's are silent that the city is buzzing. There's plenty for him to do there. Just not on a baseball diamond necessarily. Yeah, I guess you got to like ride or die with Mervis at this point. It, it, you just have to figure out, does he figure it out as a big leaguer or is he not part of the equation moving forward? That's one of the most important answers I think the Cubs can get the rest of the way this year. Yeah, I, I just I, – a couple thoughts on that is uh, with uh, Talkman. It's just – one, I, I agree with you. I think Cody Bellinger uh, as a center fielder, definitely a healthy, especially a healthy Cody Bellinger as a center fielder is probably the most valuable usage of Cody Bellinger. I just – Matt Mervis has not been good, really. No, uh, and we all we we know that. And I I just think there are ways to kind of make it all work. And I'm not saying like everything. I just think there's flexibility there. Um, like Talkman's. I don't think Talkman. I think Bellinger will play some center field. And I think he might play some first base. And I think Mervis is going to get a lot of DH spots. I don't think. I I mean I know Mancini's a right-handed right-hander, but I don't think there's going to be a lot of like eagerness to really get Trey Mancini in the lineup when you have all these other options. And you know Morel. I just think there are ways to just kind of get it all in. And and hopefully Matt plays, but you know he's he picked picking up. He hit a ball hard tonight today that could have gone. He hit a home run in San Francisco. Um, there are some moments there, and I do have one thing I might talk with though. Um, I, I just got a question for both you guys. I don't know if it's because he's from the Chicagoland area, northern suburbs, or but but just like face not not even facially to me, but just like when you see him at the plate. Does he give you like any resemblance to Jason Kipnis at all? Because every time I see him, I feel like he's Kipnis up there. I don't, I don't know the beard, just the way he holds himself, left hander. I don't know. It just, I just get like very Kipnis vibe. But maybe you guys don't. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know that I'm seeing it. Kipnis, I think, has a very different like facial structure. Mike Talkman. But I'm just talking I, about when they're standing at the plate. Like you know, when they're standing at the plate, I, I still don't see it. Uh, Kipnis a little stockier. Uh, I think Talkman's got a little, maybe a little broader in the shoulder. Yeah. You know, I don't see it, but you know, people see connections like that. Sometimes I see a lot of resemblances that other people don't see. So I'm not saying you're wrong. I, I just say that that's not a, that's not a thought I've had necessarily. I'm not saying you're wrong though. No, I'm just saying like when he's up the plate, sometimes I'm like, man, I'm not, like I'm not buying it, Jeremy, not buying it, not, not buying it. it. <laughs> I don't know. They're just like with the beard, the way I, the other thing is, Hey, Talkman's doing good on that number 40, right? It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, they gave out that number 40 from <laughs> so fast and we haven't seen a number nine. We haven't seen a number 17. We haven't seen a 44. We got Jeremy, that 40 out got pretty fast. 40 out. Jeremy, I've, I've like had Talk- this thought nine, nine, 17, 44, not on the field. I do think that when Pete Crow Armstrong comes up, he probably gets number nine just because you want a nice low number for your center fielder and all the other single digit numbers are taken but no nine no 17 no 44 but the way but they wasted no time giving out 22 and 40 did they and 22 you know you say it's on Mervis you hope he's around for a while it was on Luis Torrens before it was on Matt Mervis so boy they wasted no time getting those numbers on uh, some other guys 
how nice is it going to be though to see Cody Bellinger penciled back in the lineup? I mean, I know the Cubs have been winning like these last two games, and as you said, Jeremy, for the last five, great to see them end that long road trip with a series win in San Francisco. But you're getting to the bottom of some of these lineups, and it's Miles Masterboni, Tucker Barnhart. I mean, it's Magical. it's yikes. Yeah, it, it's not good. It, it'll be a huge relief to see that left-handed bat back in the order. And and not to go backwards, but. I, from tonight's game, I think the key moment of tonight's game, the magical automatic walk, pitch clock yeah. walk, because I was like, okay, we got to run, and magical's going to first. That is <laughs> awesome, because I was so afraid of it grounding into a double play. I thought he was going to weakly hit some ground ball somewhere. There's a double play, and I was like, this is he's not. This was the, the perfect moment. I thought that was the key. pitch. I was rooting so hard for that number to go down, and when I saw it at zeros, I was like, because they held it a long time. It wasn't yeah. like right at zero. Pat Hughes used to say, you know, what makes baseball unique is there's no clock to, to run down. Uh, well, now you have a clock to run down and you can sometimes it works in your favor. I was wondering, too, watching that if the it was the typical Wrigley moment where without telling fans to stand and cheer, that ballpark was up on their feet and cheering. And I wonder if that added a little bit of delay between the pitcher and the catcher, just sort of the surprise. I'm sitting here watching it on TV going, oh, these fans are actually up on their feet in a game where the Cubs are down. It's a big at bat there, but you don't see that in most ballparks. And then I was also yelling at the TV going, let's go. The the clock, it was two or three additional beats after that clock got down to zero. Um, Dansby, I think, was on third yes. when that was happening. And he was pointing, too, at the plate going, guys, what's the holdup here before the umpires finally jumped in? But very cool moment, I thought, at Wrigley Field tonight. Like watching the play clock wind down with Aaron Rodgers under center, where he gets three, four extra seconds and they don't call anything on him. Yeah, I, I feel like that was only because it was that moment. It's like, hey, man, this base is loaded 3-1. Like, you got to pitch it. If you're not going to pitch it, I got to, you know, whatever. But this is the first time like, I ever rooted for a clock in a baseball game. I've never yeah. done that before. It must have been weird. What I, I wonder how it was at Wrigley. Like, when everybody – people had been noticing, like, hey, it's at zero. Like, mm-hmm. Dansby wasn't there. Seemed like a real engaged crowd, though, out at the ballpark here. A tough crowd when the homestand started, but I know weather was a big part of that as well. But it uh, looked like a, a nice crowd out at Wrigley Field Wednesday night. And did I see Thursday, a rare Thursday night game to yes. bring the series to a close? You don't often get the series finale on a Thursday at night. You are correct. The, the rare three straight night games at Wrigley for a whole series. It feels like that's been the case a lot more this season feels like there have been a lot fewer getaway day games. And I don't know if that's a, a quirk of balancing different travels for different teams now or whatever, but it feels like we've had a lot fewer getaway day games, especially midweek. And of course you're going to get the Friday day game, you know, right after that, which yeah. apparently they're bringing back the, uh, the C connects on Friday, celebrating a different yeah. Chicago, different Chicago neighborhood every week. I, I didn't miss those jerseys, but somebody out there likes them. So we get them back. It'll be the Orange Birds, the Baltimore Orioles, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, uh, all day games. In fact, this weekend at Wrigley Field. Uh, one other guy I want to talk about here, actually a minor leaguer. Did you guys see Ben Brown today? Because he was phenomenal again for the Iowa Cubs, six shutout innings, 11 strikeouts. Uh, how long till Ben Brown is in Chicago? Because he's been fantastic in Des Moines. I have to think it comes pretty soon. I think they'll probably get him exposure out of the bullpen. I think maybe you bring him up and he piggybacks in a, a multi-inning role, but I have to think it's coming soon. You know, you talk about there's nothing for him to do in Des Moines in 
Des Moines. He, you know, they brought him up from double A specifically because the ball is being prepared differently at double A. It's being pre-tacked at double A. Um, offense is down in the the double A leagues, and they wanted him to come up to triple A Iowa to see if he could maintain that. And he has. He scattered six hits today. And that's kind of what stands out to me. The strikeouts are great, but he scattered six hits. He didn't let the other team have a big inning. Uh the defense, uh, I understand, did him. Uh, so no favors at some points and they did him a few favors at other points, but six innings, 11 strikeouts, you know, he probably would have gone deeper in the minor leagues. You, you never really let a guy go seven innings. Cause you're, you're watching the bullets. I have to think it's coming soon. I know there's a, there's a section of the fan base out there online. Cause it's always online, you know, minor leaguers. What, what does it matter? It doesn't help the big league team. This is a polished 23 year old who you got in a trade. He's in a position to potentially help the big league club even sooner because he's on the 40 man and we know how the 40 man spots are valuable. You're not going to have to jettison anybody to make room for him. Uh, This is important. If he comes up, he shows he can produce. That's another piece you potentially have in your arsenal next year. So, you know, I get it. You know, we're worrying about 19 year old guys at, at a ball when the big league team is faltering. But this is not that this is a guy who could potentially help the big league club very soon. And if you have any hell or any hope of getting back in this division race or any not falling any further out of this division race, awful division, guys like this are going to have to come up and contribute. So that's important. Uh, I do think he will be up at some point this season. I don't think it's going to be soon. Hmm. Uh, I think that he's, I think there's still lots of things for him to do in AAA Iowa because one, he's kind of struggling to, with his command and control. Uh, he has a lot of walks in, in Iowa. And that was actually the good thing to me about today's, uh, start was the fact that he had no walks. Uh, he had the, and, and so to me, I think that shows kind of proven in Iowa, you know, he's why well, I think it's like almost six walks per nine. Uh, so like that, and he's getting a lot of strikeouts, but, uh, so I, I do think there's going to be still a little bit of him to work out and to figure out, uh, but I do think he will come up at some point this season. I think you do kind of work him in that kind of the way that they worked in Wesneski last year, where he came up and kind of came out of the bullpen and threw a few innings. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think he's fantastic so far this season to see him kind of develop the way he has, because he, he was kind of, I, you know, they got, the Cubs obviously saw something in him, uh, last year, getting him from the Phillies because he was, he was on the rise last year in the Phillies, but before that, he, you know, he had some arm injuries, he had some things. He wasn't really a guy that you would think of or put on a, on a, uh, you know, to target. And so the Cubs obviously scouted it very well and developed it. And so, yeah, I mean, he's right now, Baseball America did their mid-season update, and he's number three on the on their list. So yeah. it's kind of crazy to think just the, where the Cubs are right now in terms of their farm system, having a very pitching-dominant farm system, which is something like we haven't really seen since Mark Pryor, Juan Cruz, Carlos Zambrano. Not saying any of these guys are those guys, but, um, you know, it's kind of like that era. It's been a long time yeah. to see, like, such pitching dominance. A really nice group right now on the farm, Wicks, Horton, Ferris, Brown, certainly in that conversation. And to your point, a little bit of context here on the walks and the strikeouts between double-A and triple-A this year, he's thrown 58 in the third innings, 29 walks, so that's not great, but 88 strikeouts in 58 in the third innings, that's very good. So, yeah, there's still some things to figure out there, but he's undoubtedly become one of those must-watch minor league guys for the team, and I think, yeah, we're all in agreement here. Just a matter of time before he's contributing to the big league Cubs here in 23 yeah the only thing i would point out is uh, of those 29 walks 23 of them came in iowa so yeah. like it's it's been since he moved to iowa and, and he's got to get that control back but i i he looked fantastic today and i i, I have faith in him doing it moving forward yeah 
Um, and it was nice too. Today was a marquee broadcast. So if you were in the Chicago area, you're able to watch it. I had the minor league game on while I was doing some work at home here this afternoon. And it's like, every time I looked up, it felt like the Cubs were batting, right? And that's a good sign. It means the pitcher's doing efficient work on the mound. Uh, one other thing I want to talk about here about sort of the big league Cubs before we go into some guys that they missed out on in the off season. Um, where is Jim Deshays? I feel like we have not heard Jim Deshays on a broadcast in about two weeks, and I miss Jim Deshays. You know, it's not just you. He obviously was not on the West Coast road trip, and that makes sense. You know, Jim Deshays has taken some longer road trips off this season. That's fine. He's got other things to do. He's got kids who are older, spend a little time with them. But you're back now, and where is Jim Deshays? Joe Girardi does not do it for me. There was the quick blip. Earlier, I think over the weekend, where, you know, Girardi's camp had put out there that he had been offered the head coaching job at University of Central Florida. And, you know, lasted about two hours between he's been offered the job and he's decided not to take it. And as Jeremy pointed out to me, uh, you know, probably wouldn't gotten him off of marquee broadcast much this season. But I think he should have taken it. It was a good opportunity for him, in part because it means we would have been able to hear him less. He's not doing it for me. He he states the obvious. He states things that aren't really happening. Uh, you know, he said tonight, if you get that ball a few more inches in, it's called a strike. And yeah, if you get that ball in the strike zone, it's called a strike. Last night, he, you know, said that I think they'll call that a swing. Nico gets hit on the hand while trying to bunt. And the, the camera angle just shows clearly Nico not moving the bat forward at all. It just feels like he's watching a different game sometimes. And everything is just kind of a setup for one of his long-winded stories and when you can hear him winding up it just sucks all the energy out of the broadcast because you know it's going to be five minutes of something that doesn't really add uh yeah i definitely think that uh that we were talking about leaks earlier uh ronan i think that leak was from the uh, joe girardi camp i don't think ucf was putting that out there i think joe girardi's trying hey look people still want me to coach right you know maybe there's a major league team that would be interested in me too (laughs) but uh I yeah, it's weird to not see Deshays, you know, go out there. It was weird to me to like it went Sutcliffe, Glanville, Sutcliffe on the West Coast as they were moving up. Uh, uh, you know, as you talked about that drive, you would like to do from San Diego to Anaheim to San Francisco. Uh, but I I prefer Deshays. I don't hate Girardi. I whatever. There are some times where he, I do think he kind of picks up on certain things that I'm like, oh, that's kind of an interesting way to see it. Like it just kind of from a manager's eyes that we don't really necessarily get you know coming from Deshays's because he never really has the experience of like managing a, a baseball team or or what a manager might be thinking in a certain situation but I I think Deshays is better and you know I, I you know they want to put Girardi on the pre and post whatever uh that's fine I will give him props though for getting an Itch Jones reference into the ball game tonight Itch Jones the former Southern Illinois and University of Illinois baseball coach uh from 1990 to 2005 when I was a freshman Itch Jones was the baseball coach uh uh, so uh, I'll give him props for that reference, for the local reference. But uh, yeah, I prefer Deshays too. And it's it's weird to not have Deshays out there. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm getting a little bit worried. I hope it's not a health-related thing. I mean, we've had – Pat Hughes has had health issues over the last couple of years too that's impacted his ability to broadcast games. And, and if it is a health thing and his privacy is the most important thing, I respect that. If it is not a health thing, if this is just sort of the schedule for Jim Deshays and these are the number of games he's working now moving forward, then I wish Marquis would be transparent about that so we knew what was going on. Because I don't like this. I put on the TV. I have no idea who's going to call the game. I'm cringing at half of the analysts that they've got in the booth these days now. Don't get me started on the radio side of things here, but that's where my head is at with Jim Deshays. If there's something going on and he wants to be private about it, I get that and I hope he's okay. 
If this is the schedule, though, can Marquis tell us, expect Jim Deshaies 80 games a year. That's all he's on contract for. So I can at least like temper my expectations moving forward. The way NFL teams put out like a uniform schedule, uh, they tell you what uniform the team's going to be wearing on a, a given Sunday. We need a broadcaster schedule. We need to know, are we going to expect Deshaies? Are we going to expect Girardi? Are we going to expect Glanville? Uh, like you said, you, you want to know what you're getting into going in because there's certain games that, yeah, you, I don't know if I'm I'm quite here for Girardi on a given night. Yeah, I think I think it's kind of clear that he's not doing West Coast games. Uh, and I they haven't, but like we've seen every so far, every time the Cubs have gone to the West Coast, and even I feel like late last year too, uh, Sutcliffe was primarily doing those games. And Glanville came in in Anaheim. And, I, you know, we've seen that from other situations for other broadcasters. You know, uh, we remember uh, Hawk Harrelson. He only did road games, right? That was a little odd uh, his last year. And uh, and and Ron Santa was only going to do Midwest games, unfortunately, before he passed away. But it seems kind of like Deshaies isn't doing West Coast games. And so not that they have Cubs have too many left, but. Uh, I, that kind of seems clear to me. It would be nice to, for them to have like said that beforehand, but maybe, I don't know. Today they were promoting a Jim Deshaies, Book Jambi bobblehead. So uh, he's clearly part of what they're planning on. And so that was kind of, I thought that was a little weird though, when it was like Joe Girardi and Book talking about the Jim Deshaies, Book Jambi bobblehead. That was a little awkward to me. Yeah, I just I hope he's okay. You know, I hope that that's not what's going on here in the background. And I don't mean to speculate. It's just like naturally, where is the top analyst on these Cubs TV broadcasts? Because again, it feels like it's been about two weeks since we've had him calling a Cubs game. And yeah, part of it is that extended road trip. But I had every expectation when they came home here, it was going to be Boog and JD and maybe a third or fourth or fifth person in the booth Tuesday night. But uh, no Jim Deshaies. So hmm, very curious, I think, what's going on there. And again, my priority is I hope he's all right. I hope that the, it's nothing like that that's going on. Very weird. Um, all right. Uh, one of the things we spent the offseason doing is predicting who should be a Cub, suggesting who should be a Cub, and maybe even listing players that we didn't want the Cubs to go out and get. And I think that the two priority places this offseason, starting pitching and shortstop, those were the two big positions we knew the Cubs were going to be, be in on. And there were four big names at shortstop, Carlos Correa, Trey Turner, Xander Bogarts, and Dansby Swanson. It's June 14th. So we've got a long way to go this year. But... Would you believe me if I said Dansby Swanson, in terms of Fangraph's war, has outperformed Carlos Correa, Trey Turner, and Xander Bogart? So of the four big shortstops, right now the Cubs have gotten the most production from the guy that they picked there, Dansby Swanson. You know, that's another pleasant surprise, just because Dansby was kind of the, the number four on that list. He was the safe option, and yet he's been out there almost every day. He We know what he does defensively, day in and day out. He's been steady offensively. There's room for improvement. You know, Xander Bogarts, he's dealing with that wrist injury, and I don't think he's gone on the IL for it, but he's missed a lot of games, and it's, it seems like the sort of thing that's going to nag at him for the rest of the year. Uh, I think he was, in a lot of ways, kind of better, best pure hitter of the 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 four big guys there, but yeah, that's, you know, you wouldn't have counted on Dansby Swanson with all those other names. You wouldn't counted on him being the FWR leader on June 14th. I would not have seen that coming. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I think it was right to put Dansby Swanson, you know, rate him number four, but even like throughout that offseason, I thought 
I thought people were a little harsh on Dansby. I always thought I'm like Dansby's a good player. He's not a consolation prize. He's a very, very good baseball player. And it was a little I, I thought people, you know, kind of were, you know, he wasn't the top name. He wasn't Correa. He wasn't he wasn't Turner. He wasn't Bogarts, but he was he had a six war season last year. He had he had he struggled a little bit the year before that, but he had a fantastic season, you know, the year prior to that. And, uh, you know, I think over the last three years entering uh, this season, Dansby, if I recall, was the leader of all four of those players in FWAR. Uh, he certainly had, I remember, more than Carlos Correa. I remember comparing the two. And so I, I just thought that we were a little down on this guy. Uh, people were. And, you know, Correa has turned it around a little bit. He's, he hit two mammoth home runs this past week that have been walk off or the grand slam in Toronto that won them the game and then a walk off against the Brewers. But I, I just think, I don't think people recognize how good a baseball player Jazby is. He's a fantastic defender. He's not quite showing the power this year, but he's getting on base. And I, 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 is a really good player. So it's not crazy to me that he's having the best. I, I wouldn't have, like, I wouldn't have bet on it, but I, I love, he, he was also, you know, I, I love Jazby and I'm happy. My uh, dad got me that Jersey last week. Yeah, Jeremy, that's fair. I mean, we were all off season. We were treating him like the safe option, the number four guy. And uh, I think lost in that perspective and lost in that perspective by me, certainly all on up to it, is that being number four on a list of four really talented players means you are still a really talented player, even if you are kind of number four on that list. And, you know, Carlos Correa, one of the, you mentioned a walk-off from run against the Brewers, that should be worth a, a win above replacement right there. If the Cubs had signed him, he would not have been positioned to hit that walk-off home run against the Brewers. So, you know, uh, wins above replacement, it's a, a calculation, a lot goes into it. I feel like that should factor in. It's a, it's a Cub win above replacement by virtue of not signing him. I don't know how the math works on that, but I'll, I'll mention it to fan graphs. Yeah, I agree with you, Randall. Uh, I do want to correct what I just said a little bit. Uh, he did have more FWAR over the last three years than Carlos Correa, but he's tied with Xander Bogarts for number two behind Trey Turner. So it was Bogarts and Swanson were tied at the same amount, 12 FWAR, and then Correa was below them, and then Turner was number one. But yeah, so it just showed like he was kind of right in the middle of that group. Well, Bogarts has been solid in San Diego. Uh, Trey Turner was my prediction for the National League MVP at the start of the year, and he was absolutely horrific for the first month and a half of the year. He's really turned it on over the last month, though, so we'll see, like a month from now, two months from now, what this looks like, but certainly the big story in the, I think, in Major League Baseball in the offseason was you've got these four big shortstops that are free agents. They all went to teams that are trying to compete, at least theoretically, right this year in Minnesota, the Cubs, the Phillies, and the Padres. And at this point in the middle of June, Dansby has performed the best of the four of those. So uh, maybe Jed knew what he was doing all along here, uh, but certainly it's been fun watching Dansby do his thing. But I'm still keeping an eye on Trey Turner. The Phillies are getting ready to peak, I think, and I think Turner's going to be a big part of that. It's still a long way to go this year. Right. I, I Yeah, I, I'm not writing any of these guys off. I think they're sure. probably going to come back and play pretty well. But I will say... You know, would you want to be right now? You know, you've given 11 years to Trey Turner or 11 years to Xander Bogarts, and you got Dansby for six years that kind of, or seven years left, uh, you know, total. Uh, it, right. That contract kind of looks the best out of all of them, I yeah. would say, right in this moment. 
and especially given the needs of the team. I don't blame the Padres for giving extra years for Xander Bogarts. They are trying to win right now, and I know the start of the year has been frustrating, but again, I'm not worried about the Padres. Give it another month or two months from now. The Padres are very much going to be in playoff contention this year. Uh, Phillies, I think, for that matter, too. So those teams that are closer to a pennant or trying to win a World Series, yeah, you put a couple more years into it, but uh, really a nice start for Dansby. And Randall, earlier in the show, you talked about the Cubs middle infield. I don't know if there's a better middle infield in Major League Baseball, not just within 200 miles from Rigby Field. Dansby at short, Nico at second. I put that up with anybody across Major League Baseball, and it feels like a strength with this Cubs team. Well, you know, I don't want to be too much of a homer, but if you're willing to go, if you're willing to go to those heights, I'm willing to go to those heights. I'll call them the best defensive yeah. middle infield in Major League Baseball. Absolutely, I, I don't know that there is a better second baseman and shortstop combination elsewhere in the Major League. So, you know, the Cubs haven't done a whole lot right the last few years, but this seemed like such a no-brainer, and they've gone ahead and done it. You've got this middle infield together for at least the next few seasons, and it makes sense to to maximize that as one of your strengths because that makes everything else better. Yeah. Well, starting pitching, another huge priority for the Cubs. There's a couple of guys here where we got to eat some crow right now. At least one guy, Jeremy, that you got to take it for, one that I got to take it on. Maybe, Randall, you got one in there too. So maybe let's start with some pitchers that it's probably a good thing the Cubs missed out on these guys. And I'll start. I campaigned all season, all offseason rather, for Carlos Rodon to come to the north side to join the Chicago Cubs. You put Carlos Rodon into fan graphs, N.A. comes up. He hasn't played this year. He has been hurt. He has not appeared in the game. Apparently, he is close to starting a rehab stint, but he has not yet appeared after signing that big long-term deal with the New York Yankees. Injuries have been a big part of Carlos Rodon's story. Maybe the Cubs dodged a bullet here, guys, not going out and getting Carlos Rodon. Yeah, hindsight is, as always, twenty twenty. But you look at a guy that I think we were all we all would not have minded had the Cubs given him that contract pitch in the starting rotation. If if they had done that and then this would have transpired as it did, I think there would have been a lot of gnashing of teeth. And again, hindsight is is the most clear of all sights. But you, you feel a little bit of relief almost that, you know, every team has finite resources. Some teams have less finite than others, but if you had tied up all that money in a guy like Carlos Rodon and he has not pitched in June 14th, I think there would have been a lot of angry questions asked. So that is a relief that the Cubs did not go that route and they are not paying the price for it. Right. Yeah. We, I I think we all advocated for Carlos Rodon. I was, I would have been very happy with Carlos yeah. Rodon. I didn't see a reason why the Cubs shouldn't have been gone after him. Of course, I didn't see his medicals. I mean, I, that's the reason why the White Sox obviously kind of let him go after uh, 2021. Um, but I, you know, it, yeah, if you're going to give six million, uh, six years to a pitcher like that and he doesn't show up the first six months, uh, that's uh, 150 million. I mean, imagine the Cubs signed. He basically signed the John Lester contract. Imagine yeah. if the uh, John Lester had not pitched until June in 2015, at least uh, that would have been that would have been pretty bad. We we all know we all know what the start of John Lester's Cubs tenure was like. A little bumpy. Nothing he yeah. didn't recover from. I'm just imagining him having not pitched as of June and what the reactions would have been like, given the microscope that was on the Cubs at the time. I think I think some things would have been on fire potentially. Well, it sounds like it's a good thing that uh, Carlos Rodon is in New York with that patient fan base and that patient media scene It'll there. It's, it's nothing to say. <laughs> yeah. It's been it's been surprising, though, that, I mean, yeah, injuries have been a big part of his time going back to the South Side, but he gets the big contract. He has not yet played this year for the New York Yankees. Uh, here's a guy that I feel like, Jeremy, you were championing for 
Corey Kluber, who has spent some time in the starting rotation in the bullpen for the Boston Red Sox, and he has been awful. ERA pushing seven, war in the negatives. Uh, probably a good thing the Cubs did not contribute any real resources here to Corey Kluber. He's been bad this year. Yeah, he's been bad this year. Uh, he was a guy I, – I, I was not – you know, go out and get Corey Kluber. I, I thought he was a good reclamation product. There was reports of the Cubs going out to his uh, 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 his throwing session. And I was like, oh, you know, if we're not if we're trying to just get add an arm to the end, and I would you could do worse than Corey Kluber in my aspect, but it's been bad. And apparently, you can't do worse than Corey Kluber because he's been very bad this season. His baseball savant page is a ton of blue. Uh, his fastball spin still looks pretty is probably the best thing out there. He's in the 72nd percentile, but uh, it's not good. And, you know, I, you could see a point where the Red Sox maybe let go of a Corey Kluber uh, DFA him. So uh, if he continues to pitch this poorly with a team that wants to get into a, a race in a very, very tough division, you can't keep putting guys like that out there. So, yeah, uh, yeah it's not been so far. A lot of these guys have not really performed as what we would have thought they would have. Right. And a couple of other guys here that the Cubs weren't necessarily linked to, but these were names that we had brought up that, hey, the Cubs need starting pitching. Of course, they settled on Jamison Tyone, but talking like Justin Verlander, Taiwan Walker, I mean, what stands out to you guys about some of these other misses here from the Cubs? Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll own up on Taiwan Walker here. I've always been a big Taiwan Walker guy. I think he would have been a boost to this rotation. He has not been great. The ERA plus is 92. The season ERA is 467, which doesn't tell you the whole story, but his FIP is 4.86. So, you know, it's not as if the results have been fluky. It seems like he's basically pitching to what the numbers say. But that ERA plus of 92 is actually still considerably higher than Jamison Tyone's, whose ERA plus sits at 66. So I think Tyone will continue to improve. He's had a little bit of a bumpy start. But, you know, if the Cubs had signed Taiwan Walker, um, who has made 14 starts this year compared to Tyone's uh, 11, maybe the Cubs are in slightly better position. So, you know, we're, we're talking about guys you dodge the bullet on. Maybe you're, you, maybe you're in a slightly better spot if you sign Taiwan Walker. Now, there's still a long way to go in the season. Season. It's still a long way to go on both contracts, and I'm sure that's going to even out for both guys. But, uh, you know, we're talking about guys you're glad that they didn't sign. Maybe that's one where they would have been in a little better position if they had signed Taiwan Walker. Uh, Tyone and Taiwan, kind of hard to that's right. get back yeah, and forth Interchangeable. There. Ty Taiwan, Tyone, you merge them together. Yeah, I like the Tyone uh, signing because I remember thinking, like, the Phillies overpaid for Taiwan Walker, and I'm like, ah, oh, we basically got a similar guy for our last. And I still like the Tyone signing. I actually think he's pitched pretty well his last – few starts. I was very trending, happy to see him get yeah. I was trending in the right direction. I was very happy to see him get that quality start yesterday because he gave up like a lot of early runs and then he ended up get, pitching six innings and getting only giving up three runs. So I was like, all right, he settled down a little bit. But uh yeah, to go on to the other guy you mentioned, Justin Verlander, that was a guy I thought the Cubs should be in. I was like, you know, he's gonna demand a lot of money, but it's gonna be short term. He's getting up there in age. He won a Cy Young last year, uh, coming back from Tommy John surgery. I'm like, let's go. And of course the Mets put him together back with Max Scherzer and it's been a struggle. He he's been hurt. He came back late this season. Uh, he's been struggling. I mean, you look at this Mets team and how much money they've spent on this team and how old it is to be honest with Scherzer and Verlander and the two of them making $85 million this year. And both of them not really pitching all that well. Uh, it's, you know, you're talking about those New York fan bases. There's some things going on in, in uh, Queens. So uh, you, you can't spend $400 million. It'd be like where the Mets are. It, that's not acceptable. Uh, so, uh, yeah, Verlander, another guy just kind of struggling, not really doing it. And speaking of the Mets, Kodai Senga is another guy that I know I was high on. And 
the the strikeouts have been there. The walks have been very high. He's almost at a win above replacement on June 14th. So he has, I think, trended better than his other free agent Mets rotation mate in Verlander. But that's another situation where if the Cubs had gotten him and he had pitched okay but not great, what would the reactions have been? Right. But I, I, I'm missing Senga. I think he would have been a great fit for the team. And I've been impressed mostly. The command has been a problem for him. But that high strikeout, I think it's going to work out okay. And uh, I, I just feel like the ceiling is still very much there for him. So that's a guy that I felt like was a miss. Uh, but overall, I, I'm I'm optimistic about Jamison. I, I think he has trended better, Jeremy, these last couple of starts. And it, the underlying stats there seem to indicate it's going to be better than it's been. He's not going to have a 6-5 ERA the rest of the way here. And I think he's going to end up beating a lot of innings. So uh, probably a good thing Carlos Rodon is not on the north side of Chicago. Maybe it would have been better if Senga had come to the Cubs, but uh, some maybe positive misses on that front with the starting rotation. Um, what about first base, right? I'm not happy with anybody the Cubs brought in at first base. I hated Eric Cosmer. I always hated, I've hated, hated Eric Cosmer since about <laughs> 2019 or so. And here we get him in 2023. I was not high on Trey Mancini. I think he's been awful in his time with the Cubs, but it could be worse. And shockingly, it could be Jose Abreu, a guy that I very much wanted the Cubs to go and bring from the south side to the north side here. Entering today, I don't know if any player made their major league debut or season debut today, but entering today, there have been 1,174 players who've appeared in big league games. He ranks 1,172 in terms of war at negative one. He's not hitting for any power. He's not drawing walks. He just looks like a completely different ball player down there in Houston. What a relief, Jeremy. The Cubs did not get Jose Abreu, who has been quite literally one of the worst baseball players this year. You might be able to argue with saying one 1172 out of 1174. He has been the worst uh, uh, baseball player this year. And and it's crazy to think about how bad the Cubs have been at the first base position and the DH spot kind of the player positions Abreu could have possibly played. And then to think that if they signed Abreu, they would be in a worse off. They, they would have been because they would have been stuck with him for three years at 20 million, which we all thought at the time was high, but you know, looking back at it, I think at the end of the off season, we were all like, well, we probably should have done that with what the Cubs ended up doing at first base. And it just hasn't worked out. And, you know, I was always kind of skeptical of Abreu kind of throughout his uh, White Sox tenure coming towards the end. I was like, well, you know, but he was still hitting. He was still, and I thought it did make sense for this Cubs team to go out there and get him, uh, keep him in the city of Chicago. Cause he was still providing enough power, still hitting the ball well enough, but everything is just, just yeah. falling off a cliff. Like once it fell, it fell and he's been bad. And you know, the Houston Astros are uh, obviously a very good organization. Um, even as they've gone through different management, they're going to have to figure out what they need to do with Jose Abreu because uh, he's been very bad. Yeah. You know, it's another one I'll own up to. I was on the Jose Abreu train. He's come on a little bit lately stat from uh, Christopher Kamka. He's a big White Sox, former White Sox guy. His first 50 games, no homers, 18 driven in. His last 16 games, he's hit four home runs and he's driven in 15. So, you know, Jose Abreu is a, a talented hitter with a decent track record. And, you know, we're talking about guys who you expect aren't going to be this bad. But again, it's another situation where if the Cubs had signed this guy and the season would have started the way it did, I think there would have been a lot of unhappy people. And the benefit of, you know, the first base options have not been great, but Mervis, 
is a young guy. There's lots of different ways that can go. Mancini's only a two-year deal and a cheap one at that. And they're already out from under Hosmer. So even if none of that works out, you're not locked into anything. And the company that Abreu is keeping in terms of the worst war right now across Major League Baseball, Gene Segura in Miami. Um, Here's a bunch of names that will irritate Randall. Colton Wong, and then a whole bunch of Colorado Rockies here. Jerickson Profar is in on this list. Jose Urena, who I saw one of his starts this year, only pitched 18 innings before the Rockies finally realized this guy cannot be on a big league roster anymore. He was at negative 0.8 war. Um, Also in that mix... Cubs first baseman Trey Mancini at negative yeah. 0.7. So uh, we've seen some bad baseball in this city here, Denver, and of course back home in Chicago. But uh, Jose Abreu at Houston has been, again, literally one of the worst players in Major League Baseball this year. A big drop-off from a guy who was one of the better hitters in the American League the last half decade. Yeah, you know, if you're going to be bad by FR, at least be cheap and bad as opposed to expensive and bad. There's there's levels of bad. And Yeah, and Abreu has baseball savant page is all blue so it's bad but i also want to point out on the south side uh and first of all i'm kind of surprised there's not really a ton of uh south siders in uh, around there uh but you know their first base situation has not been great andrew vaughn's been okay but right now i would think they're happy they let jose abreu go and they have yep. andrew vaughn gavin sheets has been pretty bad uh although they did sign the their biggest contract in team history uh andrew benatendi and he has not yet hit a home run uh, this season, which would be pretty terrible if the Cubs had done that. Uh, and of course, Tim Anderson has not hit a home run yeah. either this season. But uh, yeah, it's just some interesting things there. Yeah. Uh, speaking of interesting things, Tim Anderson with some aggressive words, I thought some of his quotes about his status right now within the White Sox organization. Um, you know, I, to one point, it's he's saying, look, it's a business. If they don't want me here anymore, then I'm ready to move on. On the other hand, this guy was like the face of the White Sox. This guy was like the captain or the heart of the team during this rebuild. And it seems that things have really gotten contentious with him on the South side. So uh, yeah, Timmy, what was it like just a couple years ago? It was the Javier Baez, Tim Anderson, right? Who's better? The city fought about that. Both guys, uh, well, Javi's gone and maybe Timmy's on his way out. Yeah, he's he's going to try and stay out of White Sox business sooner versus later. Well, Tim, he said, I, uh, just from what I heard, he was like, he was like, well, shorts got shortstops get paid. And I'm like, Tim, you, you got to perform to get paid. I mean, you're not just going to get paid because you were an all star, you know, two years ago. Right. Like uh, right now, it's you're not going to get paid for the performance you're putting out right now. That's yeah. all I'm going to say. It, it makes me very glad that the Cubs have a very talented shortstop locked up for the foreseeable future i can just sit here with my proverbial popcorn and go oh you're having trouble with your shortstop that's a shame anyway well and speaking of the cubs shortstop if you're wondering where he stands right now across major league baseball in terms of war 18th in major league baseball at 2.4 uh, no surprise the guy at the top shohei otani given he does a little bit of everything but something that i was a bit surprised by two Arizona Diamondbacks in the top 10 right now. Corbin Carroll, who is second overall, and then Zach Gallon, their talented pitcher, who's fifth overall. They've been one of the real surprising storylines in Major League Baseball. The first two and a half, three months of the year has been this resurgence of the Arizona Diamondbacks. Corbin Carroll's a beast, and I always like seeing Zach Gallon up there because it makes Cardinal fans very mad because a lot of people are always saying, like, oh, the Cardinals don't lose trades. They always get guys for Brown. But, hey, man, you look at all the talent the Cardinals have traded away over the last few years. Zach Gallon, Sandy Alcantara, 
Randy Razarena, just guys like you can just start rallying off that they give them all these guys and they've they're they might have been the losers on some of these trades. Yeah. Uh, one other quick point here, catcher. That was another position the Cubs were uh, uncertain what they would be doing. Of course, Tucker Barnhart gets the multi-year deal. Christian Vasquez was a name that we all talked about. He's been okay in Minnesota, above replacement levels, certainly better than Tucker Barnhart. Yeah. But the other guy, Sean Murphy, who we wanted the Cubs to go and trade for and then maybe give a contract extension to, he's been a top 10 player in major league baseball. Now he's got that long deal in Atlanta. So man, I just felt that was a gettable player. The Cubs could have acquired and how different might things be if the Cubs had an MVP candidate and Sean Murphy behind the plate right now. Yeah. You know, that it wasn't a deal where the Braves gave up a whole ton uh, and, you know, being a trade versus a free agent, you never know what the negotiations were like, what the asking price was like, who was, Refusing budgets it's a little different, but yes, absolutely. Sean Murphy, terrific player, player of great value that the Cubs could have gotten but did not go after. Now, there's a name on our catcher's list here. Um, the name that's not on our catcher's list here, Wilson Contreras. Oh. No shortage of ink spilled uh, about his struggles. None of the numbers are particularly kind to him this year. His FWAR is 0.3. Jan Gomes is doubling him up at 0.6. So maybe it's a low bar to clear. But, you know, Wilson Contreras, a World Series hero, a Cubs legend. The question is always, is the team being cheap by not re-signing him? You want to talk about a bullet dodged. Oh, boy. And, you know, I always say we're not ready to have the discussion of should the Cubs have retained any of the guys from that championship core. If they had done so... And any of them had struggled. Rizzo's been okay. The rest, you know, it, it would have been a an even more contentious discussion. So I don't know if the discussion will ever truly be ready to have, but it's looking like the Cubs dodged a bullet big time by not re-signing Wilson Contreras. Well, I mean, I I, I think they probably dodged a lot of big bullets on some of those guys. I mean, if the Cubs were stuck paying like, you know, a hundred million to Wilson, close uh, two hundred million close to for KB, two two hundred million almost or one hundred seventy odd million for Javi Baez, and they were stuck in this position. They would not be looking good for a long time on the north yep. side, unfortunately, in my opinion. But to get back to the catchers, like yeah, you're right. Uh, Wilson has been not good. Uh, it's it's very hard to watch to be honest because it's like, you know, he 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 said that he's lost his confidence. He's lost his, you know, everything kind of like the fire that, you know, makes him play the way he does. He's lost it. And I want to feel for Wilson because I love Wilson. But then I'm thinking in my head, like Wilson, you know, he said it's a better organization. He went out there. He did all those things. I'm going there. And I'm like, I don't feel bad for you, dude. You went out there and you said all these things. I want to support you, but like, you can't say those things and then get me to support you. But you know, you want to talk about a team that needed Sean Murphy, maybe uh, the St. Yeah. Louis Cardinals. And I'm very happy if you want to say that he didn't go to the Cubs. Well, I'm very happy he went to the Atlanta Braves because if the Cardinals had made that deal, uh, things would not be quite the same as they are today. So yeah, uh, good you point. know, Tucker Barnhart, obviously not really successful. Luckily, Miguel Amaya, as we mentioned, breaking through, but very happy. Sean Murphy did not go to the Cardinals. Yeah. Jeremy, I want to feel compassion for Wilson. I really do. We know what he meant to the Cubs, but then he goes to the Cardinals. He makes his comments, which, you know, every team is going to talk. Every player is going to talk up his new team. Wilson just seemed like he really, really wanted to make the Cubs regret not retaining him. And, you know, he comes into Wrigley. He does the, the fingers to the crowd. Anytime he does something good, my compassion for him has decreased 
dramatically. I don't really wish ill upon him, but my compassion for him is just about gone. It's just, Wilson, look, I'm not going to kick you while you're down, pal, but you made your bed and now you can sleep in it. And again, I've maintained since he signed that he's not going to finish out that contract in St. Louis. I, I'm glad he got paid. And it's hard to feel badly about people that get made, you know, yes. tens of millions of dollars. But I think we can all recognize the type of competitor the reason why we loved Wilson Contreras as a Cub. So yeah, if you remove the fandom aspect of it, it's tough. What's going on? Can you believe the St. Louis Cardinals have won the worst record in the National League, but the third worst record in Major League Baseball on June 14? It's it's been one of the. I, who was it? Uh, Jeff Passan wrote. You know, you can be frustrated about the Mets. You can say yeah, the Padres are underperforming. There is not a team in Major League Baseball that has been a bigger disappointment this year than the St. Louis Cardinals. That's clear as day. Definitely. I mean, you expected them or the, I picked the Brewers, but you would have expected them or the Brewers to be the, the class of the NL Central, so to say. And I know we're going to mention it a little bit later, but geez, what, what has happened to the Cardinals? It's just, well, just incredible. Hey, we're talking about it now. Oh, yeah. Also, yeah, it's been happening. I mean, I remember a Joe Sheen tweet from mid-May where uh, I believe the Cardinals had beaten the Cubs. And he said, hey, the Cardinals are going to be past the Cubs by the end of June. Well, it's middle of June, and the Cardinals are not past uh, the Cubs. They are 15 under through 69 games, which is ridiculous uh, when you think about it. When you think about the Cardinals, a team that hasn't lost you know, 90 games uh it's in in 30 years since 1990 haven't had a losing season since 2007 uh just a class of consistency they've had four 90 lost seasons since 1916 two of them were in the 1970s that's it that's it the cardinals they've always every year whether they might not be the class of the league right but they are always around at least around 500 the worst they get is like oh maybe they'll lose uh, excuse me, they'll win 78 games that might be like a bad season for the st louis cardinals well now they have to suffer what Cubs fans have suffered from a long time. I've heard a lot of Cardinals fans over the past 10, five to 10 years, but like, Oh, the Cardinals, like fire management, fire everybody. Like, you know, this is, it's unacceptable. What's going on. I'm like, dude, you're winning 89 games every year. Like stop complaining. You're making the playoffs every year. You don't know what it's like to suffer. Well, now you get to suffer. Now you get to have a really bad baseball team and I'm kind of enjoying every minute. I hope it's here to stay. Yeah. Passon's exact wording. No team comes close to the St. Louis Cardinals in terms of downright disappointment. No team comes close to them in general. They, they smell foul and the vibes are bad. So I think most people stay away from them. Yeah. Everything comes at a price, whatever, whatever deal with Satan, the Cardinals made however many years ago, eventually that comes due. And all I can do is pray that this is the start of an extended downturn for them. And I'm, 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 I know better than that, but give me one season. Give me one season where the Cubs are on top of things and the Cardinals are just suffering through it. That's all I ask. I'll make my own deal with Satan if that's what it takes. I know the bill always comes due, but I'm not against making the right deal at the right time. So it's hard not to enjoy the struggles that they have endured this year. Right. It wouldn't be crazy to think that the Cardinals could start to make a run at some point because they do have talent on that team. But if it gets to June and they're not, or excuse me, July, and they're not, you know, making that run. Like they're going to start trading pieces. I mean, they might not trade the big pieces, but they will trade pieces. And so they will be worse. And it's just kind of, it's crazy. Cause like none of their young players are really performing. Even if you go in the minors, um, Jordan Walker has been okay for a 20 year old, which is fine, but he's been fine, but he hasn't been like the superstar that people expected him to be when he came up. Dylan Carlson has been like, eh, Paul Goldschmidt, obviously performing, but not like he's 36 years old at some point. He's going to have that Jose Abreu movement. Nolan Arenado has been okay, not having the MVP type season last year. Uh, a lot of their Matthew Libertor, I don't really, I mean, he 
top prospect, but he's never really shown he could pitch in the majors. Like I, I, they're when you look at their farm system, which was rated higher than the Cubs, like coming into this year, uh, things aren't looking that great for them right now. A lot of their farm top guys have not performed. So I don't know. I feel like the St. Louis, I, I don't want to say it. I don't want to speak into existence necessarily, but they kind of look like they're on the way down. So hopefully that trend stays. Be, be genre savvy. The monster's not dead until the movie is over and you see the body. But yes, like Jeremy said, that the trends are certainly not positive right now. Well, a perfect year to showcase Cubs Cardinals to an international audience. <laughs> yes. Next weekend in London, the Cubs play two games against the Cardinals. Cubs and Cardinals, the combined 22 games under 500 going to London to play in that uh, international series out there. Uh, but no tears from this guy about a bad Cardinal season. Uh, definitely laughing, though, at the their fan base, just totally beside themselves. Um, I did see a bunch of folks down there saying, I guess their soccer team, they got a new MLS team. Apparently they're playing well. This If this continues, this is going to be a soccer city. Well, that's insane, right? The Cardinals are still very much the Kings of St. Louis, but definitely a humbling year for the Redbirds. I do want to, did you guys see the uh, picture of Wilson in the dugout next yeah. to the cooler, which was completely the smashed the broken yeah. cooler. Yeah. It was just, there's some things going on. In that St. Louis clubhouse, I think. I mean, you saw, I mm-hmm. think Nolan Arenado today was just like, yeah, we, we've been playing like shit. And that's just, you know, it, it makes me see how the rest of the time. But if we keep playing like this, we're going to be we're going to be a bad baseball team. That's why, again, I just want to highlight in defense of David Ross, who's been a punching bag among Cubs fans his whole time in Chicago and all the losses. There have not been major blow ups in the dugout. You've not had anything close to that. And I think that is a credit to his ability to manage those guys and what they've been able to do. Not that he's perfect, right? But we've not seen imagery like that, despite the fact the Cubs have had some bad seasons here the last couple of years. Um, how about this in terms of imagery? Uh, did you see Oakland last night? It was the fan-led protest at the ballpark there. A season-high crowd, just under 28,000, saw the Oakland A's win their seventh in a row, their second straight against the best team in baseball, Tampa Bay. And I was just blown away by the organization of the fan base. They had a coordinated chance. They had, uh, like... 25 of the 27,000 people in the ballpark were wearing green shirts that said sell. There was no way to avoid it, right? Like everybody behind home plate had a shirt on that said sell. The ball would get hit down the line. Everybody down the line is wearing it. I thought it was an amazing showing from Oakland A's fans. Um, Good for them. A big middle finger there, not just to the ownership group in Oakland, but Rob Manfred and 29 other MLB owners that seem content with what's going on in Oakland right now. Amazing scene, I thought, in the Bay. Yeah, Rona, you've been to A's games out there. We've Mm -hmm. we've talked about um, how when that team is good, that ballpark, such as it is, really gets to rocking. Yeah, the A's fans, I thought, acquitted themselves very nice. I saw at least one handmade spray-painted banner that said, man fraud. And I'm like, Oh, I'll toss you a couple of dollars. You send me one of those. I'll, I'll contribute <laughs> to your efforts here. Yeah. You know, they, I think they, the, the images speak more than a thousand words and it's, it sucks that a fan base that has shown a great deal of passion when the team is worthy of it. Uh, it sucks that they're going to be out of a team sooner versus later. Mm-hmm. I, I it, the vibes look pretty cool out there. It looks pretty fantastic. It looks like a fun, uh, game to go to. I it's it's a total shame. It's an absolute shame what is going on in uh, Oakland and what will be you know with the team that will 
probably be moving to uh, Nevada. Although I did see, I did see one of the Oakland sports reports. They on the report of you know the, the, the all the news going on. They said, "Don't underestimate John Fisher and David Cavall, the team president's uh, ability to not obviously didn't use these words, but the ability to fuck up a deal." Um, yeah. So like there was that. Uh, but uh, yeah, it was cool. Did you guys see? I believe in the fifth inning. Uh, mm-hmm. the fans were quiet for the first batter. And then the first batter came up, got a, on base. And then immediately after the ball comes in, just the loudest sell the team chance you could possibly hear. And the pitcher, I believe it was Hogan Harris. He couldn't hear his pitch comp. It was so yeah. loud. And I was thinking for the players, like they haven't played in front of a, a, a crowd all year. This must've been like crazy experience. A lot of them, of course, are very young guys. Probably some of them, a lot of them are probably rookies who haven't really played in the majors uh, much. It must've been just a crazy, weird experience for the players, but I I bet they loved it. I bet they loved every minute of it, uh, despite how, you know, they probably don't, you know, everything else going on, they're out there competing and they want uh, the fans to cheer and they want, and they won and they beat the Rays and everybody went crazy. And it was a, it was a cool vibe. And I, I just, I hope, I hope, I hope, some way, somehow, I don't expect it, but the Oakland A's are able to stay in Oakland. It would be yeah. the best thing, in my opinion, for this sport. And Jeremy, the Las Vegas Aviators are Oakland's AAA affiliate. Some of those players to be on the Oakland Big League roster probably have played in front of slightly larger crowds in Las Vegas. And that's a nice ballpark out there. That's a recent construction. And... um yeah, you know, I've made a lot of fun of Pittsburgh fans from the 2015 wildcard game for coordinating their chance and having cheer cards and a whole bunch of other things that made absolutely no difference. I think this is using that ability, uh, the crowdsourcing and, and broadcasting information to a lot of people. I think this is using that ability for a lot better reasons uh, to try and shame ownership and try and bring awareness to your plight. So good for the A's fans for putting all that together. Good for them for making it visible and good for them for getting it on cameras around the country. Yeah, it was unbelievable. And if you haven't seen it, go on Twitter, go on YouTube, whatever, type it in. One of the real neat things about this era of everybody having a cell phone, there's a lot of irritating things that come from this era of everybody having a cell phone, but you get shots from literally every section of the ballpark. You get to see what it was like in the upper deck, out in the outfield, down to the lower deck. And it was a a very creative effort from a fan base. There is no doubt in my mind, the East Bay can support Major League Baseball. Northern California can easily support two Major League Baseball teams there. This is greedy ownership doing something that 29 other owners appear to be on board with. And uh, Rosenthal made the point here, like, why are we just accepting that Vegas is going to work? Yes, their Senate passed about $400 million in public funding. Great. They're going to get a whole bunch of money to build the stadium. But where's the guarantee that this is going to work long term? You're you're leaving a larger media market to go to Las Vegas and you're just giving this to an owner that has done nothing in good faith. So it's nice to see some prominent baseball writers too, guys with a voice like Rosenthal saying, well, wait a minute, why is this getting a free pass beyond the fact that apparently the Nevada Senate is willing to give $400 million of taxpayer money to a billionaire asshole in John Fisher? Yeah, no, I, I 100% agree with you. It's a, it's a total, it's an absolute joke in my opinion. It's a, it's a total joke. I can't believe Major League Baseball is on board with it. I, I, I it's, it's shocking to me. Uh, I watched some of those hearings, and I was just like, if I was there, I would have asked. To me, the real question is, what is the commitment? What is the guarantee that John Fisher is going to put out a competitive baseball team in Las Vegas? Because if they just come to Las Vegas 
I, I don't think there might be a novelty of it for a little bit, but I don't think like just putting them in Las Vegas is going to drive attendance. And this whole thing about tourism is going to be, I don't buy it. I don't buy, I don't buy, you know, they're going into a third market that's oversaturated, the most oversaturated entertainment market in the country. Like everybody's there trying to get your entertainment dollars. People have limited entertainment dollars. You're not going to go out. I just don't see people going on trips there. I don't for A's games. I don't see them drawing from the casinos. They're already going to be the third team there. Like the Raiders are there. They're playing on Sundays, whatever. The The Vegas Knights are Vegas's own original team. They're the first team that went to Vegas. They're the first uh, major league team that went to Vegas. Excuse me. They're the first, you know, they're, they've only ever been in Vegas. They're not coming from somewhere else. Yeah. Expansion team. Right. Uh, They've been highly competitive every single year. They've played there. The first year they were there, they went to the cup. They lost it. They won the cup this year. So like the city has embraced that they have first mover status. The A's are just going to come in this crappy 18 and 50 A's team. Just going to come in and piggyback off of all this stuff put so much more pressure on the over, as I said, oversaturated, the 42nd biggest media market in the country. I'm not buying it. I think it's a joke. I think it's a complete utter joke. The best thing is for them to find a deal in the East Bay, as you said, get a stadium done, get John Fisher's two or $3 billion. You know, he could pay for some things. He's let this team, this, this Coliseum go to crap. He's let, he's stripped the team of clubs. He's basically run the, the major league playbook and stripped the team of town, excuse me, run the, Major League Playbook from the Mover Major League. I, I I'm sorry to go on a rant here, but I think it's a complete and utter joke, and I hate yeah. it. Jeremy, you make that point. He he's done the uh, the Major League owner. Someone was holding a cardboard that. cutout of him wearing the the leopard print, uh, I guess dress uh, from Major League. So some somebody had the same thought you did. You know, as people have covered the, these hearings, the athletics team officials who have done I guess the lobbying or the the presenting to the legislatures here. Uh, everyone covering these hearings to an individual says that the athletics are greatly inflating the number of organizational staff who will be moving to Las Vegas, the number of jobs that this will generate, the amount of revenue it will generate. And it doesn't seem like anybody wants to push back because Vegas wants to add, like you said, a third top level sports team to their portfolio. And Jeremy, you said, what's the guarantee? Are you, you know, entertainment dollars? I imagine that's the thinking is that John Fisher has seen the Vegas Golden Knights be a a very well-regarded team. Like you said, they just won the cup. That's going to do wonders for any fan base. You've seen the Raiders move there in their billion-dollar stadium. And I, I think the thinking is just, oh, we can do it too, not taking into account any of the differences. MLB is not an, the NFL as far as the valuation of the franchises, and it's not an expansion franchise, you know, that's building a fan base from the ground up like the Vegas Golden Knights. So it seems to me like the public perception is, oh, we'll do exactly what they did. And either not at all or privately, John Fisher is, you know, not willing to acknowledge the inherent differences there and how different it's going to make the A's moving there. So like you said, it's going to be messy. The A's fans are going to be embittered on the way out. It's probably going to be a, a rough first few years in Vegas when they do get that built. But money, you know, it's all about money. Money talks. And that's the goal always. Well, like I said, if I was a legislator, my question is, what's the guarantee that John Fisher is going to put a competitive team? Because why am I giving John Fisher, a guy who's worth nearly $3 billion, like 400 plus, it's going to be over, you know, I because what other public says, he's getting a $100 million tax exemption. Like that's not being counted in those public subsidies. Uh, why are we giving him this much money if he's not going to guarantee and put a, to put a competitive roster on the team, put something competitive that's going to fill this stadium up? 
Like we need, I would need that guarantee. And, and there's nothing that's going to guarantee. He could say it, but nothing's going to guarantee it. And so like, that's just crazy to me. And I, that's coming from John Fisher. I don't buy it. I don't buy that. He's going to go there and put together a winning baseball team. Cause I don't think he gives a damn. I think he just cares about finding the, whatever local government is willing to, uh, you know, stuff his pockets with money. It's just a cash grab to me. And if he, and he's just going to, you know, the value of the team goes up over time and he's just going to keep it until it's time. You know, if he wanted just, he could sell it now and make billion dollars, but it's going to go up over time. And he knows it's a good investment to hold it. So I, I just think it's bogus. I, I think it's, a, it's a shame. It, it makes me mad. I don't, you know, there's so many questions going on about it. They don't have an RSN in Vegas because root sports went under the Vegas Golden Knights are airing all their games for free next year. On on just over the air TV and streaming. So what are the A's going to do when it comes to an RSN when they get there? And we all know the RSN miles cracking, and they're not going to air their games for free. I don't buy that. So it's just it's just I don't buy don't buy Major League Baseball's going to allow that. It's just I just think it's a joke. I, I it pisses me off to be honest. You can tell I'm getting worked up. Yeah, we can see you're getting worked up. You got the flames coming off your head, Jeremy. I'd argue that's the sort of thing that a, a state legislature is simply not equipped to handle. That's a much larger issue than I, I don't know that either, either of us are completely qualified to, but, you know, getting guarantees from a major league owner, what are you going to do to make this team competitive and make it a draw? I'd argue that's the sort of thing that a state legislature is not equipped to handle because there is no way to guarantee that there is no way to enforce it. So it's a very thorny issue. It's a messy issue. And it's one that's going to end up upsetting a lot of people and leaving a lot of people holding the bag so that a, a billionaire major league owner can, like you said, stuff his pockets even more. And there's no way to force it, but I would want to get them on record. Well, there's no done deal yet. It's not 100% definitive that the team is going to Las Vegas. It certainly feels like it's trending in that direction, but an amazing scene out in Oakland with those A's fans in their protest game. Uh, check it out. And also, there's a really neat side-by-side -side video of the final out in the A's game contrasted with the final seconds of the Vegas hockey team winning the Stanley Cup. It was a lot louder, folks, at that baseball game and at that ballpark, despite the fact that Vegas just won the championship. And then the A's fans promptly dumped the field with garbage, glass bottles, things like that, like used to happen at Wrigley Field in the late 90s. Henry Rodriguez would hit a home run and people would throw a bunch of crap on the field. But uh, uh, wild scenes, certainly, out of Oakland. Uh, we are short on time, but Jeremy, uh, quick thoughts here. We've had a couple months of this balanced schedule. Like it? Don't like it? What do you think? I, I just think it's interesting because I think it's really affected this season. I, I think it has had effects. I think that we're looking at what's going on in the centrals division and what's going on in the East, AL, uh, excuse me, the AL East, but look how bad the AL central and the NL central are. Now think about if those teams were playing each other, you know, 18 times a year, like they'd all be beating up on each other. The top teams I think would be, have better records because they'd be facing these crap teams over and over again. Now these teams have to face teams from other divisions more often. Like the AL East is getting out of it. They're not, they don't have to face each other as much. And I think you see that's why the AL Central is terrible. That's why the NL Central is terrible because they don't have these advantages. And I think it's had a huge effect on this season. Now, I, I can I'll have to research it and see. So I don't. But I, I do think it's, and I also think it probably has had an effect on like rain delays. You know, I think it's made it more urgent to get games in because it's not as current. The teams are going to be back necessarily. Like if you're playing a divisional uh, opponent. So I, I just think, I think it's something that's really impacted this season. Cause I think you, you see it in the standings, you see it in that way that centrals are, and you see it in the way the East is. 
Yeah, Jeremy, and I'll keep this quick, but I think you've got an excellent point. I've thought a few times watching teams that would normally be distant to the Cubs thinking, I'm glad the Cubs don't have to play them this season, or I wish the Cubs had gotten to play them this season. That's not a thought anymore because you're going to play every team every season. The Cubs, you know, if we, if they end up winning a close wild card or a close division, they got three games against the athletics that they swept in another season. That might not have been the case. Uh, but maybe it, if they're chasing a team in the National League East for that wild card, they might have gotten to play the Athletics and the Cubs would not have. So I think the balanced schedule, I think we're going to see the full effects of it as you get into these wild card races involving teams not in the same division. But yeah, it's I think it is affecting the quality of play, fewer division games, and you're playing t- every team in the other league. And that's having a big effect on, I think, parity or maybe lack thereof, as you pointed out. You know, and the fewer division games, like the, the benefit again is that you get to see all the other teams in the league. You get superstars in the league that get to every market every other year. But I don't like the fact that it's the middle of June and we're just seeing the Pirates for the first time. This is a division foe. This is a team that's now first place in the division. We've played two and a half, nearly three months of baseball, and the Cubs are just seeing them now. I don't love that about fewer interdivision games. And to your point about just seeing the Cardinals for the first time, even if if it were not for the London series, the Cubs would be going to St. Louis for the first time this weekend because of the London series, which is a uh, a home series for the Cardinals. The Cubs will not go to St. Louis for the first time until even later than late June. The Cubs will not go to St. Louis for the first time until the end of July. We're talking two weeks after the All-Star break. And again, that's a function of this these fewer division games is you don't even visit your division rivals for the first time until four months into the season. And it's the only time they go to St. Louis is that trip. Like that, how is that great for major league baseball that the Cubs only go to the city of St. Louis one time all year. There's a give and a take. And a John Smoltz I heard was saying, boy, you play 162 games. You should play everybody across major league baseball. This needs to play out more. My only other criticism with the schedule is that I feel like when, when you've got these, National League matchups. For example, the Cubs play the Rockies twice this year, one series in Denver, one series at Wrigley. They are both within a week of each other in the end of September. That to me is not ideal, and it feels like it's been that way all year. The Cubs played the Dodgers away and home within 10 days or less than that. It was within one week when they played against each other back in April. I'd like that to be stretched out a little bit more because the Dodgers in April is not the same team as the Dodgers in September. Why are we like bunching all of these games together at one point in time? Um, the Cubs are going to be in Pittsburgh next week to that point as well, too. They're just now at Wrigley, and the next week they're going to be at PNC Park. But this is also us getting used to a new schedule, the league adjusting to a new schedule. But I've had some criticisms up to this point, including not playing the Pirates until the middle of June. Right, and uh, and think about if the Pirates were to be the way they were expected to be. And not good, Um, you know, playing the Pirates, playing the Reds, playing these teams a lot. You could, like I was saying, you could you could beat up on them and the other divisions wouldn't have had that chance. So in my opinion, I just feel like it's really exposing the weaknesses of both the AL and the NL centrals, how weak those divisions really have been over the past couple of years. Um, And then giving, you know, all those AL East teams a real chance because. That, that, that division might end up with five teams over 500, and the AL Central might end up with five teams under 500. It's going to be a crazy to see the way it play out. The Cubs have just 10 home games between now and the All-Star break. One more Thursday night with the Pirates. Three weekend games against Baltimore this weekend at Wrigley. Randall, weather this weekend, Cubs O's. 
Absolutely. Weather provided to us always by at Cubs Weather. Uh, Alexander Hall, always nice enough to provide us the weather. The series vibe versus Baltimore, and I love reading these words, early summer perfection, lake breezes each day, and abundant sunshine. Sunshine is Alexander's words, abundant is mine. So Friday, of course, is a 120 start, as it should be. Sunshine and temperatures in the low 70s with a light lake breeze in from right field, center field, 10 to 15 miles per hour. Saturday, another 120 start, as it should be, and basically the same forecast, sunshine in mid-70s with a light lake breeze in from right field, center field, 10 15. Sunday is a rare noon start at Wrigley. That's a natural peacock gain joy uh sunshine and mid 70s a light lake breeze again in from right field center field at 10 to 15 miles per hour with an outside shot at a shower late so it sounds like we are at risk of having a couple of dazzlers this weekend in cubs weather parlance sounds like a great weekend to get yourself out to the ballpark if you do have the opportunity so thank you as always to cubs weather run by three wonderful individuals alexander andrew and colin nice enough to provide us with the cubs weather forecast each week i'm wondering if they have the resources to give us a london forecast when we convene again uh, about a week from tonight. I'm going to have to talk to Alexander about that, see if he's got access to the the European forecasts and see what we can come up with. I think they'll be able to muster that. Look at the European models. I'm looking forward to it. I I was thinking that to myself, like, how's it going to be with London? I'm hoping we get a forecast. Wouldn't be the first time Jeremy's looking at those European models. Oh, yeah. Uh, You know me. Father's Day this Sunday, too. So what's better? Wrigley Field, Father's Day, and... uh, Cubs O's, just like it was written up back in the day out at Wrigley Field. Well, today is Flag Day. Happy Flag Day to you all. Happy birthday, Mom. We will be back next week as the Cubs are out in Pittsburgh ahead of that trip to London. But uh, let the good times continue to roll here for the Cubs. They take the first two with the Pirates. We'll see if we can sweep them away on Thursday before the O's come into town this weekend. We'll be back next week here on Behind the Yellow Line.